Thanks for tuning in. Uh, as usual, it was great talking to Craig. That guy is just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we went over a lot of chainsaw stuff, but if you want more, as we mentioned in the podcast, go check out the Tree U chainsaw course over at Tree Stuff. It sounds like it is a very complete course on chainsaw training. I'm sure I'll be looking at it at some point, hopefully pretty soon, and you should do the same. I want to give a shout out to everybody who's decided to support the podcast. That is much appreciated. Uh, we try to put a link in the in the description of the episode so you can just click on it if you want to support. If not, that's 100% fine too. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, if you can't support with money but you still want to support, go check us out on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. We have a YouTube that uh, you could go follow and subscribe and do all that stuff. It really helps us out. If you want to give feedback, by all means, head over to our email. That's treethinkingpodcast at gmail.com and shoot us an email giving us any feedback, any ideas for episodes. Uh, I know they're a little bit farther and few between, but we're working on a couple we got in the pipeline. So uh, they'll come out. They'll keep coming. Thank you guys for listening, and without further ado, we're going to take care of some business and then get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted cited copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. Tree Thinking Podcast, uh, back again after a uh, pretty long hiatus. Yeah. It's been two weeks, two months, two years. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Uh, but before we get started, I'm Corey. I'm Andrew. And we have the infamous... Ray Glockman. There we go. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about chainsaws and uh, your recent uh, chainsaw training that you've been working through, Greg. Really, really stoked to kind of dive into it and learn learn some stuff. I think we're actually going to talk a lot about chainsaws. Awesome. Sweet. Oh, man. I'm so glad to be here with you all. Oh, it's great to have you on as well. It's... Uh... I, our paths have crossed a little bit recently with it being competition season, and I know you've been just about everywhere recent. So on top of chainsaws, I kind of look forward to just kind of catching up in general. Well, I, it's, it's so awesome to be back with you. It has been a while, and having been on the road and getting to see you a little bit, uh, a lot's been happening. I know in your world and in mine, uh, being down at Treetopia, being at the North American Tree Climbing Championships, uh, running a company at the same time, right? It's whew, a lot going on. Oh yeah. <laughs> not enough hours in the day, huh? Uh, not enough hours in the year for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Touche. Fair enough. Yeah. It's one of those things where when people say I'm bored, I, I just say I'm jealous. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe they don't lie awake at night thinking about everything that they didn't get done and need to do tomorrow, but yeah. that's my life. <laughs> did I put the did I put the batteries on the charger? Did 
Did I get to the, oh man, that chipper was having an issue. Did I bring that up with the fleet? Did I <laughs> still have to set that? Oh yeah. If you, if you haven't walked out to the truck at like 2 a.m. Now, oh, I got to preface this. My business is run from our home right now. But if you haven't walked out to the truck at 2 a.m. in your boxer shorts and flip-flops to check if the batteries are charged, uh, you're not living. No. I mean, that's that's really sweetness right there. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is like that's the good life right there. Oh man! So I'm excited to talk about chainsaws, and I think you guys know about this, but I might as well mention it. Um, I'm excited that what about a month ago now or so uh, we launched a program with Tree U, uh, the Arborist Chainsaw Qualification. It's something we've worked on for almost a year. Uh, we launched a nine-module training series all around chainsaw safety, uh, cutting skills for newer and intermediate operators. Maybe there's something in there for advanced operators as well, but with the goal of filling in knowledge gaps. And certainly, we're not going to talk the whole time about you know specific training things, but I'm pretty excited about that, and a whole bunch of effort went into it. And, and I want to say thank you to Tree U, VSG, which is the owner of Cheryl, and Tree Stuff, and and other organizations, they're the ones that, that are behind Tree U. And I'm excited about that opportunity, and I'm, and I'm honored they'd ask for my help with it. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's great. I've seen some of the uh, some videos that I think it might have been before you released it in just kind of a teaser video, but it looked like it was just full of tons of great information. What, what are some of the modules uh, that you, you said you had nine of them? Yeah, we, we started with really the fundamental basics. We literally took a brand new saw out of the box from Husqvarna, like opened it, unsealed the box and started with assembling the saw. And maybe that sounds silly or or overly basic, but we started with all the proper technology and terminology to understand what are the parts of this saw? How do they work together? Because I'll tell you, in my experience, it was many years into my career before I had a new saw. I was always dealing with something that was somebody else's leftover, broke down POS. And to see what a saw is like when it's brand new and how it's set up and how it goes together properly, that was informative to me. And I wanted to share that with other people. And also to clarify the terminology. You know, it's really important, whether we're talking about trees or chainsaws, that we're using the right term. And when we're talking about the chain tensioner pin or we're talking about the pitch and gauge of a saw chain, that we know what we're talking about. And when I say to you, hey, Corey, can you go get us a new chain? It needs 84 drive lengths. It's 3.8 pitch, 0.50 gauge, that you and I both know exactly what we're talking about. And so that terminology is really where we have to start to understand the tool. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, kind of building that foundation and then working from there rather than like kind of trying to jump into the middle of it where I feel like a lot of... Um, at least some of the training programs that I've been involved with around chainsaws, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, there's all of this, but we'll just, you know, we'll start over here with the actual running of the chainsaw kind of thing. Oh yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Let's start felling some trees. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's like learning a, a language without, like, you know, without learning the punctuation, mm-hmm. you know, just learning like a few key words and then just, you know, doing the Spanglish thing or something. Yep. But, you know, like yeah. you, you get that terminology, you're understanding the structure of what you're talking about. Exactly. And so we start with that fundamental terminology and understanding the tool. From there, we go to fundamental cutting techniques around body position, hand position, making bore cuts, cross cuts, rip cuts, 
we look at limbing and bucking. Then we get into felling plans, proper face cuts, back cut techniques, specifically the bore cut, which I was talking about down at Treetopia. Uh, and then we get into uh, handling storm damage as well. So it's, it's really a pretty broad curriculum. There's five hours of training in there. There's a whole bunch of material. And it really it spans the gamut of what a chainsaw operator needs to know to use that tool safely, efficiently, and productively. Nice. Sounds like I could learn something from that. Oh, I guaranteed I could. (laughs) Since we're on the subject, since we're on the subject, we brought up pitch and gauge, and we probably shouldn't just use those terms without defining them, right? Probably. I mean, what's a pitch and what's a gauge? Yeah. So this is something that I didn't understand at first. I thought a chainsaw chain was a chain, and it turns out there's all kinds of different size change chains, and they're sized really in two different ways. Well, I guess three ways. One is the width of the kerf, that space that's created when the saw chain moves through the wood and wood is removed. And there's a normal kerf, and then there's a narrow kerf, sometimes called a micro or pixel. But from a numeric standpoint, saw chains are specified by the pitch, and the pitch is the average distance between rivets. When we think about a saw chain, we've got cutters, we've got drive links, right? The pieces that stick down into the bar and in the sprockets. And then we have tie straps between them, much like you'd see on a bicycle chain. And when you look at a saw chain carefully, what you notice is the distance between those rivets is not consistent. There's a narrow and then there's a wide and they alternate. Yep. And so to find the pitch of a saw chain, you measure the length from the first to the third rivet and divide by two. So the average distance between rivets. And what that is, is that is telling us the spacing on that chain. And that means that chain will interface only with a particular size drive sprocket and nose sprocket on the bar. The most common pitch is three eighths pitch, three eighths of an inch. There are, sm- there are smaller pitches, three, two, five, there's actually some new saw chains coming out that are super tiny that are quarter or 2.25 pitch. But for most of our saws we're going to run, they're going to be three eighths. So that's the pitch. The gauge is the thickness of those drive lengths, really as it relates to the channel in the bar. So as the chain runs around the saw bar, there are the side plates, of the, of the bar and in between it, a groove, a channel, and those drive links run in that groove and then over the nose sprocket, over the drive sprocket. And the width or thickness of those, that's the gauge. The most common chain gauge, at least in arboriculture, is 050, 51 thousandths of an inch. That's 050 gauge. They're smaller and larger. You could go down to 043 and you could go up to 060 and even larger. But for us, most commonly, it's 050. So a 3-8 pitch 050 gauge chain, and then the number of drive links identifying the length, critical information to know when specifying, ordering, or installing a new chain on a saw. And the key thing to recognize is that information is on the bar. It's stamped on the bar at the mounting end. So if you say to yourself, I got to get a new chain, what do I need? That information is on the bar and right there for the operator. 
it's almost like they, you know, made it for arborists who might not be the most right. Uh, <laughs> most with it people. They don't call it. They don't call it idiot proof for nothing, Corey. <laughs> well, yeah. They designed it for guys like me, so it's great. Yet I've, <laughs> I've found nothing's idiot proof. <laughs> <laughs> we are always inventing better idiots, myself yeah. included. Yeah. Oh man, well we're getting a little weedy on it, but you know, chainsaws are such an important tool. They're also, they just have inherent hazards. Using a chainsaw is taking a risk. I mean, tell me about your experiences. You've, you've certainly seen things go wrong with chainsaws, maybe had it wrong in your own experience. But tell me about your experience with saws, Corey. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not too proud to admit that I've, you know, nicked myself with a chainsaw before. Like, it's, it's happened. I got overconfident and, you know, got in a situation that I shouldn't have been in. Uh, I knew what I did was wrong before I even did it, I t- I, but I did it anyway, and I've got the scars to prove it. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, they're dangerous tools, and the second, the second you stop respecting them, the second you stop understanding how dangerous they are and stop, um, stop you know, taking uh, precautions or steps to mitigate that is the second it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you, or at least that's the way it was in my experience. Yeah, I mean... That it, it's like anything that deserves respect. The second you stop respecting it is when you're in trouble. Yeah, you know, that's a really important point. And, and Corey, you used a really interesting word. You used the word danger or dangerous. Um, I, I'm a big believer that words have power and, and understanding the words we use and choosing them carefully really influences how we think about things. And, and I'd like to propose to you the idea of something that is hazardous versus dangerous. Yes, yes. And I'll give you an example. Uh, a street, right? A city street with lots of cars on it, that is hazardous, right? Mm-hmm. Like in and of itself, there is a hazard there to pedestrians, there's a hazard to drivers, but our behavior is what makes it dangerous. Right. If I'm going to choose to run out in that street or not look both ways or text and drive, I'm taking a hazardous situation and I'm making it dangerous. I make it dangerous by my behavior. But if I'm attentive when I'm driving, I'm focused, I got two hands on the wheel. If I'm walking, I look carefully across with the light, look both ways. I am managing that hazard. It is not dangerous then, but the hazard still exists. And when we're operating a chainsaw, really the saw itself in using this powerful, fast moving chain, this cutting tool, there is an inherent hazard there. And the choices we make, our behaviors, are what move it from dangerous to hazardous or the other way. Are we managing the risk or are we multiplying the risk by our behaviors? And it sounds like in the story that you told that you recognized maybe at the time and certainly in retrospect that it was the behavior, it was the choice you made that led to the outcome, that it wasn't the tool's fault. Did I understand you correctly? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It was not, uh, the tool did the same thing that the tool always does. You know, the chainsaw will always cut like a chainsaw does. My my behavior was definitely the dangerous component of that. Like the chainsaw, you know, it's it's a chainsaw. It's going to, it's always going to do chainsaw things. Yep. And, and to kind of promote this tra- uh, chainsaw training that you've, you've put on or you've uh, produced with tree stuff there's there's the opposite of that also you can take a hazardous 
uh, situation and make it less hazardous through training and experience, you know, sharing knowledge and all, you know, making sure your equipment is running right, all this stuff, you can actually reverse that as well and take a situation that's hazardous and make it safer. Absolutely. You know, our, our decisions either minimize the hazard or multiply it. Yeah. You're absolutely right. One of the, the best analogies that I've heard for safety is you have a, a jar, and I think, was it, was it you who told me this analogy, Craig? With the, no, I think the Andrew may have shared it or somebody. I think I heard it from you guys. The, the jar with the red marbles and the blue marbles, red marble being a serious accident, blue marble being, you know, you take like, let's say you, you do do something and you have like five red marbles and say 95 blue marbles in a jar, right? Every time you do a task, you're reaching in there and you're grabbing a marble out and uh, blue is like nothing happens, right? Or red is a serious accident. So you can, through your... Um, through use of proper safety, you can reduce the number of red marble, the ratio of red marbles to blue marbles, like significantly. Um, and then, you know, you won't, you'll be less likely to draw a red marble up. Or if you draw a red marble, maybe you're more, you know, prepared for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, the action of learning mm-hmm. is kind of virtually, you're taking that marble out. In, in a safe way, you're taking that red, you're like, oh, I'm learning that, you know, if I wear chaps, it, you know, if something goes sideways, I have a better chance of not hurting myself. So you're taking some of those marbles out every time you put the chaps on, not just learning it, but when you actually put the chaps on, right. you're removing a certain uh, statistic, statistically relevant number of that you're going to grab that yep. red marble. And, and like you alluded to previously, Craig, like this is... The work we do is hazardous. You're right. It's not dangerous. It's hazardous. And they're always like red marbles will always be a thing. And we can like, we're fallible creatures, right? We're not perfect. We can't catch everything. And there's always going to be something that maybe we don't see or something we don't plan for. There's always the, a possibility that something could go drastically wrong. So you can never el- eliminate it completely, but you can do everything within your power to reduce it as much as possible and be prepared when that does, when something does go sideways. Yeah, Corey, you make a really important point um, in that even if we do everything to the best of our knowledge and ability, it is still possible that something goes wrong, something we did not foresee, some unidentified hazard, some condition that we hadn't detected. And if I might tell a quick story, I I had a selling situation go wrong a few months ago. I was fortunately at a golf course with minimum minimal targets and we were felling a tree that we knew was a bit of a risk and we had made the intentional decision even though it was a quiet day at the golf course i think they had they just aerated the greens or whatnot so there weren't more many people there but we made the point that we put out a bunch of cones we blocked off the area we prevented people from coming within one and a half times the tree height and uh Unfortunately, there proved to be some decay, and honestly, I made an I made an error in my cut, and the tree went the wrong way. It absolutely went the wrong way, and what that experience told me, or reminded me, is that even when we do things the best we know how, it's still possible to miss. And taking all those steps, whether it is 
blocking off the area. It is doing a good hazard assessment. It is keeping people away from the tree, whatever it might be for the situation. We do all those steps because something could still go wrong. And doing that prevented what was a mistake and a bad situation from being a disaster. And it really changed my perspective on teaching. At first, it really sort of, honestly, it undermined my confidence a little bit. Like, how, how qualified am I to teach somebody about chainsaw skills if this could happen to me? And what I realized is that could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And that it is even more important for me to be sharing knowledge and all of us to be sharing knowledge with the people around us so that together we can achieve the best possible outcome. Because those of us, you know, you guys have been doing this work a long time. I've been doing this work a long time. Those of us who are in leadership and teaching roles, we're here because the mistakes we've made have not yet killed us. They haven't kept us from doing this job. They haven't put us out of business. (laughs) And we have a responsibility to share those lessons with the people around us to help them learn from our experiences because nobody learns long enough to make all the mistakes themselves. Right. Right. And we need to be open and honest about sharing our own mistakes and lessons learned to help elevate the knowledge and skills of those around us. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Oh, a hundred percent. A matter of fact, uh, my kids are in jujitsu and one of the, one of the sayings is there's no losing. There's only learning. You either win your round or you learn from the mistake you made, right? And that is such a such a powerful thing, you know. And I think that applies to tree work. Now the the uh, scale is a little different because you know in jujitsu you tap and it's done as soon as you get caught. In tree work, if you if you don't watch out, you could uh, be in a lot more over your head than a simple tap will get you out of, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think oh, absolutely. if you take the time to set it up properly, you know, kind of what you were talking about, setting, you know, marking off the drop zone, getting everything set up so that even if it does go wrong, you know, you've got other things that will help protect the situation, you know, then, then that becomes a learning opportunity. And it's not really, it's easy to have that feeling when things go wrong. I've had it many times where something goes wrong and you're just like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. I can't believe the crew just saw me fell this tree and it didn't go exactly where I wanted it to go. And, oh, I'm such an idiot now. But the reality is that's just your ego trying to get into your head. And if you can put that ego aside and instead you can be like, all right, now it's, it's time for that that breakdown. Anytime something goes wrong on the crew, I try to break it down, kind of get that after action report going and figure out, okay, what did we do? What led to it going sideways? You know, what can we do to prevent it from going sideways in the future? And then get everybody in on that conversation, not from a bullying the person perspective, but in from the perspective of many minds will help come up with a better solution. You know, then there's always so much value in, in these situations. Well, that's very, very well said. You know, we have to learn from every opportunity we can. One of the challenges we have these days is there is so much information out there. It can be really hard to know what to trust and what to be skeptical about. You know, and you and I, Andrew, have had some of this conversation before that you go on YouTube, you pick any subject, right? God forbid you type in chainsaw. 
you're going to get all kinds of videos, right? You're going to go down the rabbit hole of things that are great ideas, things that are proven techniques, and things that are total, um, total cowboy, right? Mm-hmm. Making stuff up, trying things. You know, and one of the things that I think we have to remember is that as professional arborists, felling is not something we necessarily do every day. We're not out there running big saws, felling trees every day, right? We are not loggers. We are in generally urban or suburban environments. We are in a high target environment. We're dealing with roads and power lines and cars and garages and people and dogs and coworkers. We're not out in the woods trying to preserve board feet, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to recognize that felling is only one of many things that we do. We run saws more frequently than many other people's, but we might also be hand pruning. We might be running a pole pruner doing building clearance. We might be running an aerial lift. We might be doing soil injections. Who knows what we're doing? There's all kinds of things. And felling trees is only part of it. And as we think about the techniques we use and the methods we employ, we have to use what are the most reliable, most proven, highest control methods not some cowboy idea on YouTube. And I, and I really, I feel passionately about that. Everybody seems to want to show off on YouTube this new fancy whatever it is that they've done. And they're cutting Dutchman's and notch cuts and keyholes and those kinds of things that have their place. But Mrs. Jones' backyard may not be that place. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you're going to try out a new felling, uh, technique. I highly encourage people to try different techniques because that's how you learn. But know there's a time and a place to try a new technique. <laughs> you yep. know? It, it's, it's just like when you're learning to climb low and slow, like, and for felling or trying out a new technique, you know, wide open and small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I've, yeah, it, you, you don't want to get in over your head. And some of those fancy techniques, you know, like you're saying, have like these specific purposes. And so if you're trying to do something just because it looked cool on YouTube, make sure you understand why you use that technique, you know, because you might be kind of jamming yourself up in this, in the situation you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And the subject of practice is a really interesting one, right? It reminds me of that. Um, it reminds me of uh, Jeff Dunham. You know who he is, the ventriloquist? Yeah. Yep. Who, who did uh, you know the different characters? And he had one that was the uh, the dead terrorist guy, and he was joking about how the day go, and he said, "Oh, the new guy, he wanted to practice," <laughs> and, and blew himself up. Right? It's a little bit of analogy for what we do. We are so often in environments where trying something new increases the hazard or increases the risk. And so when it comes to chainsaw operation, one of the best things we can do is to facilitate good practice opportunities. Bring some logs back to the shop. Um, One of the terms I like is a bolt. A bolt is a four or five foot set long section of wood, maybe 12 to 14 inches in diameter, cut flat on the end, that you can stand up in the parking lot and practice making felling cuts on or practice making bore cuts. And so if your company has the ability to move wood sections like that, bring some bolts back to the yard or the shop. Do some practice cutting there 
rather than trying it in Mrs. Jones' backyard on Tuesday. Yeah. Right? Facilitate that practice. If you have new chainsaw operators, let them work on body position and making proper bucking cuts and working from one knee, standing up, making face cuts, making bore cuts, whatever the skill is they're working on. Creating practice opportunities that are not on the job, where it's not in a critical situation, is so important to learning while managing or minimizing the risk. Yeah, I think that's huge. And, you know, that goes out to the, you know, the guys that might be the crew leader or the owner of the company. You know, that's why it's so important to be in touch with everyone on your crew. Because if somebody's really into some crazy cut that they just learned on YouTube, that could be a great opportunity for you to go over it with them. So it can become a teaching opportunity. And I think that's where the benefit of YouTube, you know, it, it can, you can spark the imagination and you can kind of, you know, get people excited about stuff. But it's just our jobs as the crew leaders then to make sure that they're learning in a safe manage, in a safe way. Because, I mean, the thing about YouTube is it, it really is like a superpower. I mean, you can learn how to do anything you want. I mean, you can put in your, you know, your dryer, your clothes dryer model number and learn how to fix any, replace any part on it, you know, you can learn how to fell a tree. You there, you can learn how to do anything, but the downside is you, you are just, you know, anybody can do anything. So it's, if you're more experienced, then it might be great to encourage having some of your crew members bring you the ideas of what they've seen on YouTube that they think is really cool. And then you guys can learn it together. So you, and you might learn something new, but having that more experienced person there to help walk through and understand what you're doing uh, really literally could be a lifesaver. I mean, that's pretty dramatic. Chances are someone's not going to die, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's happened before, you know? So I think yep. it's absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so that kind of, that kind of also has me thinking of, you know, how do you facilitate on the job training for your crew? Oh, it's a great question. So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we've got a, a newer team member with us uh, who started oh, two months ago, certified arborist. He's got six and a half years climbing experience, came from a reputable company. So he's got a good background. Uh, one of the things that he's working on is increasing his stationary rope, his SRS climbing skill set. And so we've done a few different things. One is, uh, on a day where we knew we'd be done a little bit early, I met the guys at a local park here in the city and we put some lines up and I did a demonstration and then had him practice basically repeating what I did around some use of stationary rope redirect. Another thing we did a separate day was uh, after finishing the job back here at the shop, which is also my house, um, the guys had some extra time, so they went back into a couple of trees in the backyard and practiced again what we had done the week prior. And then as we had some new ideas that came out of the uh, North American Tree Climbing Championship that I was at just this last week, we do a Monday morning safety skills meeting. And I was excited to share with the guys a stationary rope idea I had learned. And so we just underneath our, uh, you know, we've got a carport where the vehicles are stored. And so we hung a couple ropes under there and looked at things up close and personal. And it's really important to me that in addition to practicing skills on the job, 
that we're taking time off the job where we can be in a very focused way looking at working on isolated skills. I don't want the guys thinking about what is Mrs. Jones going to say and am I getting her work done on time? I want to finish up that project and then have us be able to focus entirely on a skill, whether it's chainsaw skills, climbing, tree risk assessment, whatever it might be. Intentionally creating or setting aside time for learning that can then be practiced once those fundamental skills exist, to me, that makes the most sense. What have you guys done? Oh, I, I think that's, uh, that's really on point. What we do at Sperry is we, uh, we do uh, tree school every Wednesday. Everybody shows up. We get the trucks ready to go. And it's one person's job to kind of set up some chairs and put together uh, in, in our shop. We you know just put together a space. We have a little projector if we have a presentation we want to put on or something. And we just take about a half an hour or so to, you know, it depends on what's going on. So we have a, the TCIA uh, safety training manual. And so we, you can pick a topic from the safety training manual and we'll have, we'll kind of go over it as a group, go through the chapter and then do the test all together so that we're all together learning whatever seems applicable out of the TCI safety training meetings. And then we uh, also, if there's been any, you know, like there was, we had a patch of tires blowing on rigs. So then we just have the fleet guy come up and talk about, you know, checking tires, you know, stuff that seems really obvious. But if there's something that's becoming an issue, we'll just take the time to do a little training on it to catch everybody up. And I'm, I'm kind of uh, thinking about this chainsaw training that you guys are doing with Tree U and thinking about how I can, you know, if there's uh, nine modules over five hours, you know, maybe it's pull a module and just go over that module and then just, you know, just kind of work, work that into the Wednesday, uh, Wednesday tree school. And, you know, so that, that's very similar. And like the, the other day, uh, I was on a job and we were just kicking butt. We were getting done real early. And the last thing we were doing on the job was, it was a little white Oak, uh, you know, nothing too big, but just getting some big debt out of it and whatnot. So right now I'm, you know, starting to think about, we got the tree climbing competition coming up in Seattle, right in your neck of the woods. And one of the guys that I'm going to be going up and I'm bringing a new guy that hasn't done any tree climbing competitions and is really kind of new to tree climbing. He wanted to do it. So I was like, sweet, let's do it. So he needs to, he'd never done an aerial rescue before. So I was like, all right, well, I just, at one point, you know, I knew it was the last thing on the job and we were, you know, doing good for time. So that pressure wasn't there. And it was like, all right, Aaron, come and get me you know, this is the aerial rescue. How are you going to get me down? (laughs) So it's kind of fitting it in when you have that time, you just fit it in. And he's like, all right, he goes and gets his gear. And, you know, it wasn't like a live role playing situation, you know, because he's kind of new to it. I just took the time to talk him through. Okay. At this point, I connect myself to the victim. All right. Now I, you know, as I'm coming down, you try to control the head and, you know, so you just talk and it'd be like, all right, you can either, you know, have them, have their back to you and kind of control them, or you can kind of grab them with your legs and be over them. And so kind of showing them different techniques and, you know, so it's just finding those times where it's like, okay, we could all have an early day or we could do a little bit of training and then we could still have, you know, uh earlier day, you know? So I, I it's finding those, those times. Well, 
it's a mix of scheduling trainings and finding time on the job, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when it comes to chainsaw skills, if you're doing a removal and you get down to the last six feet of the tree, spending some time making some cuts on it, right? You've yeah. got some wood to work with. It's standing there. Make use of that opportunity. It took 15 minutes. It's not going to change how that job comes out one way or another. Uh-huh. It, it is what it is. Either Either you're making money or you're not but you might as well make use of that time, right? You've got an opportunity. And, and what you brought up about, you know, tree school, and I love that concept, the modules we created for the tree U arborist chainsaw qualification are really intended to be not only a self-study learning tool for an individual, but also to be a teaching tool for a supervisor, a crew leader, a business owner, where he or she doesn't need to be the expert that we can play a module. Maybe it's around the module around saw maintenance and sharpening, right? Or maybe it's the module around storm damage, or maybe it's the one around uh, bucking cuts and managing larger wood. And it in 20 or 30 minutes, communicate a lot of information that can then be discussed. And if there's more time and some wood available, we'll go out and practice some cuts. But it's, it's in many ways, it's a prepackaged training module that you can use with your team rather than you feeling like you have to be the expert and have to be able to talk about everything perfectly. It's all ready to go and easy to play. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're a company owner or if you're interested in working with a company, bring it to the owner. And this seems like the perfect opportunity to start your own tree school. Uh, you know, and just be like, Hey, we got these, I'm guessing the modules are all right around 20 minutes to a half hour. If there's nine of them over five hours, you know, that's, that's exactly a doable right. thing for a once a week training for a company. You know, you just build that into the cost. And when, when you were talking earlier, you're talking about how 15 minutes isn't really going to affect your bottom line, but I would, I would argue a little bit because it is that 15 minutes isn't going to affect that job, but the training they receive in that 15 minutes might actually speed up jobs in the future. Cause you're training somebody that didn't have those skills before, you know, to buck up a bunch of wood, you know, to whatever you're teaching them, that's a new ability that person has that down the road, you know, the compound interest job after job after job, they're getting better and they're learning more and more capable of an employee for you. Yeah, that's hundred percent. I think that's pretty crucial because like we so often get in this, this headspace where like every minute that we're not producing work on a job site, that's like wasted time. But uh, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like it's not wasted time. Like you're investing, you're investing that time somewhere in the future and you won't see the dividends today or maybe tomorrow, but it will pay off at some point. You know, it's, Corey, you're getting at something really important, and, and this is, you know, let's have this as a separate conversation, but the point that I want to make that I think you're hitting on is the business model for any tree company needs to include time for training, just like we have to include time to maintain our chainsaws or to fuel the trucks or to reorder equipment. All those things need to be covered somewhere. It's got to be part of the business model and training has to be part of how we spend our time. Whether it's a half hour a week, it's a half day a month, wherever we put it in the calendar, it has to be there. And when we're getting ready to uh, head out to the Pacific Northwest annual training conference and I've made the decision, I'm going to take my whole team to it. 
And it's a huge financial commitment. We're going to be out of the field for four days. Here's when a volunteer at the competition as well. You know, we got hotels and we got registration costs. That's a big number that goes against that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the most important thing I can do to raise the knowledge and skills of my team based on where they're at in their careers. And as you identified, Andrew, that is going to pay off big time in the long term. But we have to invest in it up front. And so whether it's half half hour a week tree school or going to a conference for three days, we're investing in the future of our people and our companies. It's super important. Yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you, man. That's, uh, you know, uh, Sperry making that investment is what has helped me learn a lot in my career. And it's just what builds like, you know, the rising tide lifts all ships. The more people we can get out and educated, the better our industry can be or, you know, will be. You know, it's it's so important to get that knowledge out there. It, it really is an uh, important thing. Um, well, and we have a responsibility to share it. Exactly. You know, that as we learn things, I, I believe that companies compete, individuals do not. We all want our brothers and sisters in the trees to be safe, to be healthy, and to have a great career. Because this is one of the coolest jobs in the world. And by sharing information, we benefit everyone. Yep. And I would even put it out there that companies don't have to compete. You know, we kind of do naturally just if we're bidding on the same job or going after, you know, the same employees or something. But there's a bunch of companies in town that I, I absolutely love the people that own and or run those companies. And I don't look at them as competition. And I've referred work to them when for whatever reason it didn't work for me to do it. I want to make sure that that job is taken care of properly, you know, so the the whole competition that's such a famine state of mind you know of like i i have to get the work i have to get it before the other person does but i think there's enough tree work out there that if you know we can all succeed if we all if we're if we're all doing good work and not trying to undercut each other and you know working as a profession and not just an industry yes you know great point yeah, super well said, Andrew. Um, I want to uh, be respectful of your time because I know you're super busy. So I want to throw out a couple a couple last things that we go over real quick, uh, if that works for you. Oh, I'm ready. Let's uh, do it. I think that the I'll throw out a couple concepts and see if there's anything you can add to it. I think that with safety and chainsaw use, most of the most important part is before you fire up the saw. And before you do anything, I, you know, before you start cutting, once you start cutting, things can happen so fast that if you're not on point, you could get in trouble. And the, the list of like four or five things that I came up with, obviously proper PPE, the chain sharpness and tension, got to make sure the chain break is working, work positioning, understanding tension and surrounding. Can you think of anything else that people should be thinking about before they even start up their saw? Yeah, I've got two things. One's, a, one's an add-on and one's different. Okay. Uh, one is choose the proper size saw for the task. Oh, that's a good one. Whether you are climbing with a top handle or bucking wood on the ground or making a felling cut, choose the right size saw that promotes good ergonomics and is safe for the task. So choose the right size saw. And the second, that's a modification of what you said. You mentioned PPE. Having your PPE is important. And I would tell you, getting good quality PPE makes a difference. And for people who are hesitant about 
chainsaw pants, chaps, etc. Try some of the high quality chaps out there. Try the like the clogger zeros. If you haven't tried chainsaw pants and you're thinking, oh, these are heavy and gross and they're going to be too much, try a pair of clogger zeros. It will change your mind nice. about wearing leg protection on the job. Absolutely. Good quality PPE makes all the difference. Nice. Those are, those are two great add-ons. The, the other thing I was going to uh, ask you is what are three things, you know, you put all this time into building this whole curriculum. So you're pretty, you're, you're in deep into the chainsaw world. What are the top three things to make someone safer when operating a chainsaw? Ooh, top three things to make someone safer. That's a great question. Um, one is understanding the tool and using it the way it's designed. And I'll give you an example. Chainsaw is designed with felling sights on it. It's the vertical line that runs over the power head perpendicular to the bar. The tool is designed to help you line up a felling cut. And it's designed to make that felling cut with you facing the target. It drives me crazy when someone doesn't understand that and I see them go to make a face cut with their back to the target. They don't understand how the chainsaw is designed to make their lives easier. So one, understand the tool. Second one, um, I'm going to reiterate what we were just talking about. Wear the PPE. Don't rationalize how you're just making one cut. Wear the PPE. Leg protection, eye protection, ear protection. Some choices you never get a do-over on. So you got to wear it. Uh, and the third is maintain your own chainsaw. Take the responsibility to clean the saw, to maintain and dress the bar, to clean out the air filter, to make sure it's fueled properly, to make sure it's sharpened and the chain is tensioned properly. Take ownership of your tool. Because as they say, we take care of tools, they take care of us. Make sure that saw is cutting just right. So it'll make your job easier and safer. Those are my three points. Nice, Those nice. Are great. Those are good ones. All right. And this one, this might start a whole nother podcast and a whole nother uh, conversation. <laughs> so I apologize if it runs long. But uh, what's your favorite chainsaw? Uh oh. Ooh, great question. I got, oh man. I got a couple answers. Can I, can I, uh, can I have more than one? You can go in any direction you want. I think it'd be unfair. There's too many uses of a chainsaw for one saw to do it all. So I think it's only fair to get more than one. Okay. So a couple answers. One is for cutting moderate size wood aloft, like maybe on a crane removal or negative rigging a stem. Uh, I really like Husqvarna's 550 XP or the Mark II version as well. That 550 is a whole lot of power in a really convenient light package. I just had to get mine repaired. I missed that thing for two weeks while I was waiting on it. That's always so good. So that's my first one. Second one for a felling saw, if I'm going to be making bigger cuts, like 28, 30 inches kind of thing, uh, Husky's 572 XP is wicked. 
Oh my God. I've got the slightly small. I've got a 562. I tried the 572. Blew my mind. Super powerful. Really, really like it. Uh, and then for climbing, oh, I am absolutely sold on battery tools. Nice. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, uh, I think five, uh, Husqvarna's T540 IXP, the battery top handle with a 14 or 16 inch bar. I think I actually like the 14 a little better. Nothing is great. Being up in the tree, not pull starting it, not having all the vibration, still having all the power you need. No, battery tools make my life so much better. That's, uh, they're my go-to whenever I can. So those are three answers to one question, but you ask. That, that, no, those are three fair answers. I, I like all of them. The, uh, I am, I'm just loving the 540i so much right now. I, I did a, a black, it was a dead black oak removal, just hard as can be. And that 540i, I had this 16 inch bar on it and it pulled that whole thing. I mean, I could, I could go beyond the 16 inches of trunk and it'd still be chunking it down. And I didn't, you know, it wasn't as fast as if I brought up a big saw. Of course, it's not a big saw, but it, you know, I didn't feel like it was, you know, a hindrance that I, I kept on it because the benefit of the lack of vibration, the lack of fumes, no pull starting, all that outweighed the little bit more time it took to get through it in my mind. You know, it just, uh, I, I just love those electric saws. I mean, nothing's perfect, you know, and, but I'm really, with how nice they are now, I'm really excited to see where they're going. Cause this is a new technology that's still improving, you know? Yeah. Whatever the next generation is going to be, it's going to be incredible. Cause I'm pretty impressed. So how about you, Corey? What's your favorite? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm rocking the 540i too. It's a, like, I was, I was diehard uh, 200T fanboy, like basically until I bought the 540i and then I used the 540i and my 200T is, I'm ashamed to say it has just kind of sat in the, in the trunk ever since then. <laughs> but the, yeah, no, it, I've got, I've got a, go I've got a gas top handle and it sits in my shop all cleaned out just in case. And it's been there for a couple of years now. It's getting lonely. Yep, yep. That, I, I bring it to every job site just in case the 540i breaks down. I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So, um, but yeah, yeah no, that's, pretty that's it's 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 hard to beat that saw. It's the it's the future. Yeah. But I feel like we got to give a little love to the 500. The the still 500. It like that thing rips you know you get one of those that's sharp and just watch out if you're chunking big stuff down that will do the trick yeah no that thing and it's nice. so light yeah it's so light i have i have not run one i can't speak to it but you guys are impressed yeah. i I've, i haven't done a lot of time on it you know but the time that i've used it i've been i've been really impressed you know it, for that kind of yeah. uh mid to upper range saw size wise that yeah i i was very happy with it but uh, so the next next time you're up in a tree and you need to chunk down big wood, if you don't have a Husqvarna available, you could always try a 500. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm classic. Classically, I've uh, done Huskies. I'll tell you what. I, I, I wish somehow I could calculate how many feet I've chunked down with the 372 XP. That, uh, yep. that is such a classic saw. You know, you can't compare it to the 500. It's from a different era. <laughs> right but it Absolutely. like i will take one of those all day and get tree work done guaranteed i know because i've done it you know <laughs> they're good tools they're good tools yeah well hey guys i really appreciate you having me on it's so much fun spending time with both of you 
Oh, hey, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. You all take care of yourselves. I'll look forward to talking to you soon. Y- you too. Thanks, Craig. Have Sounds a great good. night. Take care. Right. See you guys. Have a good weekend.